Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's Friday, March 25th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Callis Robinette and Lila Bromberg are beat writers who cover Kansas State and Missouri, and they spent the day since their team's season ended covering a coaching search. Those searches didn't last long. Kansas State hired Baylor assistant Jerome Tang, and Missouri hired Cleveland State head coach Dennis Gates earlier this week. I spoke with Kellis and Lila about the new coaches and the search process. We recorded the show earlier in the week. So let's get started first with Kellis in Kansas State. Kellis Robinette covers Kansas State for the Star and Wichita Eagle, and he is now going to cover a new basketball coach. For the first time in more than a decade, we've got a new coach to deal with there, Kellis. Jerome Tang is his name, and he replaces Bruce Weber. We're going to get into Jerome Tang. There's a lot to ask about that, but let me first ask you uh, what you think about uh, the, the decade tenure of Bruce Weber, and was it the right decision to make the change? I think it was definitely time to move on. I think he had a mostly successful tenure at Kansas State, though. Um, when you just think about a new coach coming in, um, despite everything that happened, if you had just told fans when he started, he'll be here 10 years, he'll win you two Big 12 championships, which hadn't been done since the 70s, um, even once. He'll get you to the NCAA tournament five times, and during one of those trips, he'll get you to the Elite Eight. Fans would have been doing backflips. You know, that, that's a really, I mean, the highs are uh, remarkable. This, the new coach, Jerome Tang, if he comes in and can do that, um, people will be just as, you know, people will probably be happy once again. Those are some very difficult highs to match. Um, the problem with him is just he, he never really could sustain it year after year after year. You have two good years in a row, two bad ones, three good years in a row, three bad ones. And the bad ones just piled up too much lately uh, in big-time college sports anymore. Uh, and a program that cares about basketball like Kansas State, you, you can't go three years, no postseason, no winning record, um, just not a, a lot of hope moving forward. So, yeah, time for change. Excitement was just down in Manhattan. And I, I think Bruce did a really good job. Had it not been for COVID, I don't know that these last couple of years would have gone as poorly as they did. Um, but you know what? That's the hand he was dealt. He's gone. Now excitement is kind of back up. People are pumped about Jerome Tang. Um, and, and you can feel it. Um, there just wasn't there. There was quite a bit of apathy about basketball these last couple of years for whatever reason. And now you can see kind of when you look on social media, people aren't complaining anymore. They're excited about the future. Um, so somebody somebody, you know, I, I don't think that Bruce is entirely to blame for all that, but. You know, they needed some someone to come in and unify the fan base, and I think this guy has a shot to do it. Heck, he did it in a 30-second Twitter video, um, social media. That, I thought that was pretty nice of Jerome Tang to call um, you know, put a little shout-out to the fans, um, you know, need your help, and it was a pretty smart move on his part. Hey, before we get to Tang, the coach, how about the coaching search? Um, you know, really just two names all along for this, as far as I'm concerned. There were more, I guess, uh, but Brad Underwood and, and Jerome Tang were the two two names that all I, I kept hearing about. And did Kansas State have any contact with, with Brad Underwood? I guess it would depend on how you define contact. Was Gene Taylor ever in the same room as Brad Underwood? No, I don't think so. Were people at Kansas State contacting Brad Underwood, you know, through back channels, where they talked to his agent? Yes, I think most definitely. 
Um, there, there were conversations, um, you know, he, he knew, he knew Kansas state wanted him, let's put it that way, or at least was interested in him. From what I understand, um, you know, they made it very clear that if he wanted to come to Manhattan, they would do all they could to make it happen. Um, they, they figured out through donors, they had enough money to cover his buyout. They probably had enough to match his salary at Illinois or come close, um, which is not a whole lot of K-State people thought going into it. Um, he listened, never gave him a yes, never gave him a no, was really busy thinking about the NCAA tournament. I suppose it would have been interesting to see how things might have transpired if this just happened, you know, two months down the road where there's absolutely nothing going on. Um, you know, get in a room, like I said, he couldn't get in a room with anybody and formally talk about it because he, he was trying to win a national championship at Illinois. As the search went on, turns out they really liked Jerome Tang. They kept talking to him, really like him, really like him, really like him. And he's going to cost a whole lot less. He was only an associate head coach. You don't have to buy out the associate head coach. You're going to give him $2.1 million. That's more money than he's ever dreamed of. Um, the further they got down the road, when it was you know apparent, it was going to be um, at least challenging, to say the least, to bring Red Underwood home. Let's just go ahead and do this with Jerome Tang. So that's the way they went. Um, and that's kind of how it played out. I would say there were a few other names attached to the search that were real. Uh, those two were the big ones. Um, we, we heard Chris Jans at New Mexico State and Todd Golden at San Francisco. I think those were names more just mentioned by the search firm that uh, they just, you know, they're good names. They, they both got uh, jobs in the SEC, so clearly they're qualified. The other name I heard that was uh, kind of the fallback, for whatever reason, it didn't work out with Tang. The next guy in line was Andy Kennedy at UAB. Um, apparently Bob Huggins is a big fan, likes him, coached with him before, and he recommended him. So had this fallen through, maybe they would have gone there. It didn't come to that. Um, and now it is, uh, uh, you know, Tang – Tang gang time, win the tank, win the tank day, any pun you want in Manhattan. Are you old enough to have uh, consumed Tang? <laughs> I get this one um, around, but uh, but it was it was a very popular drink in the seventies. Isn't it like orange juice, basically? It is. It's uh, it was created for astronauts, uh, freeze dried uh, you know orange juice, instant orange juice that you just add water and stir and. Um, and, you know, that is, of course, apropos of nothing. But um, uh, but it, it is an interesting name. He's an interesting guy with with a, uh, you know, with a fascinating background. Uh, let's start with the obvious stuff. Uh, 19 years on the bench at Baylor. He was on Scott Drew's first staff. You know, Scott Drew and Bill Self got got into the Big 12 in the same year. They've been together at their or they've been at their schools for the run on, on parallel tracks for uh, that, that entire time. And, and Jerome Tang has been with Scott Drew since then. He came from a high school or a prep school, did he not, uh, into the mm -hmm. college ranks? Yeah, he was coaching at a Christian school in Houston, Texas, at a very young age, early 20s. And, um, you know, kind of surprisingly had a lot of success there, didn't have many resources, but got, got kids um, to his school, coached him up. I think one of one or two state championships there. And um, yeah, Bill Self said, had a story today that said he recruited one of his guys when he was at Oral Roberts and he was just getting started. Um, Scott Drew recruited or at least wanted um, some of his players and kind of vice versa. Um, Tang uh, wanted Drew to, you know, if there were players that he was getting from other parts of the country or other countries, he wanted to have a move here and play for him. So he'd, he'd have him in high school and he'd have him in college. Um, and kind of through those conversations, they, they, they hit it off. Um, 
They had a, had a long interview in Waco. They had a long interview at his house in Houston. And I kind of out of the blue, Scott Drew just said, you know what? Um, let's do this. You should join my staff. I think you can recruit. I think you'd be a good help here. Didn't even have a college degree. Didn't really go to college. And um, he said, uh, you know, yeah, I'll do it. Um, and even to sweeten the pot, if, if you hire me, I'll, I'll go back to school and get, and get my, get my bachelor's degree someplace so that, you know, as we go on, I'll be more accomplished in everything. So it, it's a cool story. He's a self-made guy born, uh, born in Trinidad. So he's from the islands, apparently a good, a good cook makes a lot of, uh, spicy Caribbean food, likes to have pool parties at his house. Uh, Scott Drew said today, he'll, uh, take out trash cans and bang them like they're Jones before practice to fire players up. So a very unique guy and took an extremely interesting path, both to Baylor and now it's a, to Kansas State. He's 55 years old and has not been a head coach at the division in, in, at the college level. So, you know, when we when we look at candidates for coaching searches, we tend to look at, you know, at this level, at the Big 12 level, you look at the sort of the, the successful guys at mid-majors and you, you, know, you said a few of those were involved and um, you don't always look at the, uh, at least in recent years, the, the top assistant at high level programs, but even that's changed a little bit now, um, with Arizona hiring, uh, Lloyd from, from Gonzaga with, you know, guy with no head coaching experience and, you know, Arizona with, uh, you know, in the, in the sweet 16, having a great season, it, there just seems to be more of that happening now. And you know, what, you know, with, with better credential than the top assistant for the program coming, you know, coming off a national championship season last year. Um, what about, what about Tang's um, coaching chops? Uh, that's again, without head coaching experience, we don't know, you know, what his philosophies are. I guess his philosophies are Scott Drew's to, to any extent that we know of, right. And Scott Drew famously has switched from a, a primarily a zone defensive guy to a man to man guy. And, um, you know, ended up using his his team's athleticisms athleticism to his advantage. Do we know what uh, you know what what Jerome Tang is about as a coach, or um, do we have to wait and see when the season starts? Uh, you know, I can't I can't tell you right the second what offense he's going to run. I can't tell you right now what defense he's going to run. I would assume it uh, is similar to what we saw at Baylor. Um, I would think some of it would depend on the assistance he brings in and, and what vision they have for things. But from what I can tell, um, you know, next season, if, uh, if he can get Kansas State's core players back, he's going to want to get the ball to Nigel Pack and Marquise Noel and let them, you know, let them cook um, and have everybody else kind of flow in there. I know he, he really likes to have um, big athletic wings, big athletic big guys, those are two things Kansas State hasn't always had uh, right. in the Weber area era. They had some, you know, when they had Dean Wade, things were looking really good. Uh, but other than that, um, you know, I'm thinking on the wing, they had a good guy in Wesley Awundu. Um, they've had some success there. But I, I would think you're, you're going to see more of a pivot to that, um, just some, you know, find some athletes first, teach them basketball later, that kind of thing. Um, but but I, I'm excited. I mean, you saw what they showed at Baylor. For years and years, they were stuck in their ways. Let's just do this one zone defense. Um, and they they learned that, hey, you can adjust and win doing other things. I I think Jerome Tang will be open to that. So, you know, it's kind of an unwritten book right now, what his, what his uh, style is going to be. We'll see. 
even more telling before we see the Wildcats on the floor will be who's going to be in K-State uniforms next year among the, you know, the players who um, you know, played this year. And that includes, you know, an all-conference player and, um, and other talented guys. So is, do you think it's hard to say, but is Jerome Tang the kind of coach that uh, leads you to believe that top players will return and play for him that were recruited by Bruce Weber and his staff? I mean, right now, I would think um, the players that he wants to stick around probably will. There's no guarantee, but you can kind of tell. Um, I know as the search was going on, every time I tweeted something about Jerome Tang and them maybe being close or coming, I noticed Marquise Noel was quick on Twitter liking it. Um, if you go to his Instagram, he was pretty pumped. He said, you know, like, welcome, coach. Let's get, let's get going right as it happens. So especially having him already – he transferred in. I think he's. I think he's good to stay. I think he'll be the point guard next year. Nigel Pack was a little less enthusiastic, but he shared some some stuff on social media too that was pro Tang. Um, I mean, it seems like at least he's coming in and they want to meet him. I I thought it was telling that nobody, not a single Kansas State player, entered the transfer portal during the coaching search. Um, you don't see that in a lot of places. Some people, if they're just super loyal to one coach, they'll they'll exit and leave. I think these guys kind of knew knew uh, what was happening, and Gene Taylor did a to his credit did a nice job of telling him when uh, they did let Bruce Weber go. Hey, look, I'm going to bring in a very qualified coach, somebody somebody who can take you guys to the next level. Meet him before you decide. Let you know, let give us a chance to win you over before you do anything. Um, will there be transfers? Yes, it's it's inevitable. It happens all over college basketball. But I would say right this second, I would feel pretty good about those all-conference players, Pack coming back, Noel coming back. I think Ishmael Masood will be back again. He's another transfer, so it would be harder for him to leave. Um, after you get past that, it's a little bit more wishy-washy. I don't think there's anybody else. And this is a problem. This is why Bruce Weber wasn't retained. Was uh, There's nobody else on the roster. You're just dying to be back, right? Um, you know, After Pack and Noel, maybe Masood, you're, you're not down on your knees telling any of these guys, hey, please, you, you got to stay for us next season. So they'll have some conversations. We'll see what happens. So what will, what does basketball success at Kansas State look like? We started this conversation with kind of defining the Bruce Weber tenure and two, two conference championships in a decade. That's pretty good stuff for K-State, but the lows were low. Uh, and um, I, I look at that program and think it shouldn't, it should never be at the bottom of the Big 12. Now, somebody has to be there, you know, and, and, um, and Kansas State was there this, this year. But what, what does, it, does it look how – many, how many NCAA tournaments over how long a period uh, do we think uh, spells a successful run for Kansas State? And that's a great question. For me personally, I think it's getting to the NCAA tournament more often than not, so like three out of five years – six out of 10 years. I, I think that's reasonable. Um, you know, obviously fans will push for higher eight to 10, nine to 10, but look, he, nobody in the big 12 is doing that outside of Kansas, maybe Baylor. Everybody has bad years. West Virginia was dead last in the big 12 this year. You know, it, yeah. it happens. It, it stinks, but it happens. Um, so I think, you know, yeah, I think that's a good barometer. NCAA tournament half the time, a little more than half the time is acceptable. 
Um, when you're you're having your best years, you're up there at the top of the standings. You're pushing for a run. You're pushing for a, for a trophy. I think the the thing people really want to see is when you have your down years. Um, is then it needs to be more like what we saw this year. The team's fighting to the end. They're in every game. They beat some solid teams along the way. Yeah, they missed the NCAA tournament, but they're on the bubble till the bitter end. You know, you give people something to be excited about. Um, I, I think if when they're when they're still making the NIT. Um, they're still winning, you know, fit somewhere between 15 and 18 games every year. I think people can mostly live with that. Um, it wasn't really until you saw the, the wins dip all the way down to 10 and below with Bruce Weber, that people started to say, really get agitated and we can't have this anymore. So, you know, 15 wins kind of at a minimum, NCAA tournament more than half the time, um, and, you know, still a shot at NIT in your down years. I think people would be very happy with that. I don't know, Callis. I think there's a new verb that's been coined this year that uh, when teams have bad years, they they need to Otzelberger their way to a winning season the next year after T.J. Otzelberger goes, you know, inherits a 2-22 and team at, uh, at Iowa State and takes them to the Sweet 16 the next year. That is, that's an incredible achievement for him in that program. Um, you know, that's, I would never have guessed that kind of success at Ames this no. year. Um, but it proves that it can happen. It can, it can happen uh, in Kansas State. Nobody was down like, uh, like Iowa State was this year. But, um, yeah, with the right coach and the right, you know, the right roster, uh, fortunes can reverse. And, and that's the magic of the, the transfer portal. Um, you know, if you're down, you can reload awful fast. And one thing I have heard, you bring up Otzelberger. Um, he, I mean, hey, what, what's one thing him and Tang have in common? They've got experience as Big 12 assistant coaches. So Coach Oz came to Iowa State. He knew how knew how things went, what it take what it takes to win. Used the blueprint, got him right back. There's definitely some optimism that Tang can do the same thing. All right, good stuff, Kellis. Enjoyed catching up with you, and we will do it again soon. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash SportsBeatKC offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Lila Bromberg covers Missouri for the Kansas City Star, and there is a new basketball coach in Columbia. Dennis Gates is his name. He came from Cleveland State and had his introductory press conference on Tuesday. I thought he did well. Uh, we always talk about winning and losing the press conference. To me, Lila, you you either you know you 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 win it by not losing it, and and uh, I, th- I thought he did a good job. I, I, his my favorite line from the press conference was. Um, you may not have recruited me or you may not have sought me out, but I, I recruited you or words to that effect. I just thought that was a nice thought. What were your initial impressions of Dennis Gates? 
Yeah, I mean, I think he, you know, said all the right things. It felt pretty typical of a coach's opening press conference where you're talking about bringing a program to new height. I think he dodged some questions, to be completely honest. I think maybe that's typical just in a, in a press conference setting of wanting to say the things, you know, you want to say and just going through heavy media training before. Um, but for the most part, I, I think he made a good impression, definitely some lofty goals and expectations. I wrote about how, you know, you have all these people under banners for NCAA tournaments, which is not really something that programs who've, you know, won at a high level do and no final four banners, last conference championship banner for regular season is from the nineties. And, you know, they're talking about these goals of winning a national championship. So at times it seemed, you know, pretty lofty, but I think he made a good impression. Everyone seems to be really excited about him, especially his ability as a recruiter. Um, I've heard he's very detail oriented. So, I mean, it's always good things to start a tenure and to start a, a press conference, but we'll see how that actually pans out. Yeah, those recruiting chops were on full display at Florida State, where he was an assistant under Leonard Hamilton for, was it eight seasons, I believe? At, uh, yeah, eight seasons. Yeah, Tallahassee. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that more a little, in a little bit, but I want to talk about the, the, um, uh, the, the hiring process. You know, you and I talked, uh, you know, when Conzo Martin was re- relieved of duties and we tried to come up with a list of names of obvious candidates. And I, I think we ended up identifying, and you certainly did identifying some folks that we believe Missouri, uh, talked to. But on our, our initial list, Dennis Gates wasn't on there, uh, and he wasn't on anybody's, really, uh, that I saw. I, I did not see his name. Um, that's, I, I consider that a fail on my part to not, uh, to not identify him. But he wasn't part of that, that group of, you know, McCaslin at North Texas and Golden at San Francisco and, you know, McMahon at, at Murray State. He wasn't part of that group that was being, you know, whenever – an opening uh, arrived, you know, you kind of sh- that, that same group of coaches along with some others, of course, would, you know, you put their names out there for that job. But, um, but what we didn't know or what we didn't realize, what I didn't realize was there was a connection between, um, between Gates and Missouri athletic director, uh, you know, Reed Francois, uh, Desiree Reed Francois. And um, if, if you weren't, you know, uh, if, if you didn't know the backgrounds, uh, they, she, you know, she, she was ne- Gates never worked for her, but they were in the same conference and that's where he made an impression on her. Yeah. And, and first off, I've been kicking myself because, you know, I was writing this article, finishing this candidates article. I think we we're at the, the big 12 tournament. I was doing zoo coverage from there, uh, you know, kind of, you know, doing two different beats at once. And I had the name Dennis Gates on one of my lists and, the list had gotten so long at that point that I was like, okay, you know, we don't need to put another name on it. It was already, you know, six or seven names, whatever it is. And I was like, it might be a bit too much to have one more name. And I left that name off and I've been kicking myself about it since. But yeah, so Desiree was at Virginia Tech while Dennis Gates was at Florida State. She was there from, uh, I believe I had written 2014 to 17. Uh, and he was at Florida State for, like we said, eight seasons, which included that time there. And so, you know, basically she was talking about how as, as an athletic department at Florida, at Virginia Tech, they were just kind of wondering how Florida State was continuing to churn out these really good teams and 
produce really good talent. And so she started asking around about how they were being so successful. And everyone brought up Dennis Gates um, and his ability to recruit. And then when she moved on to UNLV, she kept his name on a list, knowing she might need to one day make a basketball hire. And if, if you look at the reporting of how she hired TJ Alsoberger when he was at UNLV, she did a very similar thing with him where he had come on her radar, radar, I believe, from watching a tournament game or something like that and had written his name on a list and kind of just kept it for when she might need it in the future. Um, so that's kind of something she's shown to do throughout her career. And then they started the process of looking at head coaches here and created a profile of who they wanted as a candidate. And the more they interviewed him, it seemed like he really fit those boxes. That's some good ADing there, if you ask me, that um, you, know, you kind of make a mental note of opponents that are, you know, that are doing well and you look at their coaches mm -hmm. and, um, and yeah, I think that's uh, all credit to, to Desiree for, um, for, for having that, you know, th that memory of, uh, of Dennis Gates. So, so he's, he's at Florida state and there's a run of unsuccessful seasons, uh, there, but then they turn it around and they're, they're not only are the NCAA tournament teams, there's one team, the one in 2020 that got to number four. And I think they were number four in the, they, they won the ACC regular season, um, got to number four in the AP poll, but that was the pandemic year when everything, you know, postseason tournaments were all canceled. Um, Florida State easily could have could have made its best, you know, run um, since um, you know I don't know forty or fifty years when they were in the in, in the national championship game. But what um, uh, Dennis Gates gets credit for helping shape those teams? Does he not? Yeah, and actually, uh, over the weekend, I talked with uh, Charlton Young, C.I. Young, C.Y. Young, who was an assistant. He's still an assistant at Florida State, and he was an assistant with Dennis Gates there. And, and he was telling me how Dennis Gates was really just vital in all of their recruiting efforts. Um, he, he played a huge role for the team in that regard. And also, you know, Leonard Hamilton let him have a, lo a lot of freedom and, and responsibilities and what he was able to do as an assistant and then associate coach. He was an associate coach by that time. Um, he wasn't on the team uh, in the 2020 season. He was already at Cleveland state at that time. He left for Cleveland state in 2019, but in, in the time of Foreman, like he was responsible for a lot of the players that were on that team um, and in recruiting a lot of that talent. So, I mean, you, you look at really, you know, all the guys that they've, been able to have there under his tenure and in, in terms of who they're able to recruit. You look at a guy like Terrence Mann, who's in the NBA right now is one of them. Jonathan Isaac is another one who is in the NBA now. And um, I feel like I'm going to botch this name. So apologies in advance, but Mafundo Kamangeli uh, uh, was one of the kids that wasn't a four or five star in that class. He was not a highly touted recruit in 2016 and um, only had one scholarship offer from Binghamton and Gates scouted him and saw him. And that was something that Young said to me is that he not only is able to, was really able to go and land a lot of these four and five stars, um, which also includes guys like Malik Beasley and Dwayne Bacon, but he was able to really be able to see diamonds in the rough and, and see guys who maybe weren't getting scouted as nothing, but he really thought could be potential. Um, you know, he saw this guy as a pro from the beginning, even though he was like 
like a two-star recruit at the time that he offered him. We've already seen some transfer portal uh, news, haven't we? Yeah, so from my understanding, it's a bit unclear when they entered the portal, whether it was before or after Dennis Gates had that talk in the morning, because it takes some time for the paperwork to process. But right now you have Javon Pickett, who was in his senior year anyway. He had a COVID year of eligibility remaining and hadn't determined whether he was going to stay around for another year. Um, so he entered the portal as coming off the best year of his career. And then really the big one is Trevin Brazil. Um who just had a really, really good freshman season. Uh, his athleticism, his wingspan, his vertical leap is off the charts. He's he's was probably the only guy on that roster last this past season that has pro potential. And he's actually going to be exploring that this season too. Um, we were the first to report on it. I had multiple sources tell me that he has not only entered the portal, but he is going to be exploring NBA draft options. Um, returning to Mizzou remains an option for him and, and something that he's open to. He's from Springfield. So, you know, re- remaining close to home is something there, but this is a guy that definitely has the NBA in his future. It's just a matter of, is he going to try and do that this year and rely more so on what scouts think of his potential and athleticism because it's there, but the evidence isn't as there. Um, he really did impress in the last five games of the season. He was averaging over 12 points and eight rebounds and uh, two blocks a game and was really impressive. But, you know, or is he going to wait another year and solidify himself more as a first round pick? I think if he waits a year, he is a first round NBA pick. Um, But the question is, does he develop that at Mizzou or somewhere else? So that's going to be huge. That's a guy that you need to keep around. Yeah, and I wondered if it would have happened, whether there was a coaching change or not. Um, you, you, we'll never know. Yeah, it kind of felt like it. Yeah, heading in that direction. You know, um, it, it, that's just such an issue now with uh, with coaching changes in colleges. You know, we, we always kind of focus on, you know, the staff, what, what it's going to do there. But uh, now it's all about the roster. The, the roster is, um, you know, certainly uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in, in – uh, in, in, in roster composition when, when a new coach arrives. So um, he, he did not make, a, go ahead. I, I think that's a reason to be optimistic about Gates. When you look at what he did at Cleveland state, he only had three players on that roster. A lot of which were contemplating going into the portal. It was like late July, which is a ridiculous time to hire a head coach. Like that doesn't really happen anymore. And he really rebuilt that roster quickly um, and recruit a lot of those players to stay. So, I mean, you know, I think there's a chance he can recruit Trevin to stay. We'll we'll see what happens there. Um, But I I think you're right. It's it's a huge thing when a coach takes over. And I think that's also something that Desiree mentioned liking about about Dennis Gates is how quickly he was able to rebuild that roster. Yeah, they they ended up winning a Horizon uh, regular season championship and uh, they went to the NIT this year. So um, it happened quickly for him in at Cleveland State. So, um, all right, well, good stuff. And it'll be fun to follow uh, Dennis Gates as um, the, the newest Missouri basketball coach. They went since Norm Stewart um, left in 1999. There have been quite a few Missouri basketball coaches yeah. with varying degrees of success. And uh, look, here's here's hoping that it, it works out for Mizzou and Dennis Gates. Lila, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for today and this week on Sportsbeat KC. 
Thanks to producer Monty Davis and the staff of Jeff Rosen and Chris Pickett. Tip of the cap to Callis Robinette and Lila Bromberg. Today's morning sports edition numbered 55 pages. Took me two cups of coffee to read it all. Go to the subscription tab of KansasCity.com for more information. We'll be back next week with more editions of Sports Beat KC. Have a great weekend.